Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. everybody we only have one more announcement and that is I'm not preaching my very good friend Dan Wilt is come on up Dan everybody say hey Dan hey hey isn't that good um, Dan is a longtime vineyard friend uh, Dan has been a part of the vineyard for over 30 years longtime worship uh, training guy, longtime songwriter, longtime spiritual formation guy, and longtime friend to me and many people in this room and longtime friend to this church. So uh, what I would love uh, this morning is I would love for you to open up your hearts because I know that Dan has a word for us. And I would also love it if everybody here would just give, give, give him the, the vineyard welcome. Oh, Golf claps all around. Thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Uh, Bobby, am I okay? I... It got a little out of hand there as I was trying to get her on. Awesome. Well, good morning. What a, a great privilege uh, it is to be with you today. It has literally been years. You know, how many times in your life do you, you know, live not far from people you love or communities you care about, et cetera, and you literally don't see them for years? It's fascinating. And, uh, I kind of feel a bit like Paul would feel in a different mode, but, you know, I was eager to come to you, <laughs> and yay, here we are, <laughs> and I get to see people I love and a community I love, and it really is uh, a gift to be, be with you. So I'd like to begin by praying for our time, um, because I'm going to be sharing in, in some confluence, some connection with the God at the center series that you've been in, and I know Adam wrapped it last week, but I want to spend a little bit of time on it uh, today. But I like to, uh, with this community, you guys are kind of the experimental community. I think you figured that out by now. Whenever I come, I think, what new, old, ancient thing could we do? And this is very simple, and it won't, it won't be awkward in any way. It's just a, a thing to know. So when you start to look at images, if you search the few, first few hundred years of the church, and you look up the word prayer or pray, you'll see if you go to Google Images, an image of someone like this. And this is called the Ordo Orans, or the order of prayer, the way, the posture of prayer. And so what you saw early on in the church was this, this idea that they saw the, the physical expression of their body as something not only that was an expression, but was actually something they understood to be formation. That they actually used their bodies not only to say something, but also to receive something, to become someone. And they understood that their habits and their rhythms and their ways of doing life and even how they, how they uh, lived in the marketplace, they saw it all not only as an expression of their faith, they actually saw it forming their faith. Literally, the way they pray, which is going to be our focus today, they saw as uh, forming a pattern, a way of thinking and moving and being in the world, a way of inhabiting the world. And so I'm going to lead us, I'm just going to pray uh, a really super brief prayer, and I'd like us to pray together. So you can do the normal posture, you can close your eyes, you can bow your head, but if any of you wants to do the Ordo Arantz, 
I like this because it's kind of like for me, uh, I'll often do it in worship. You know, it's not just a crazy charismatic or vineyard thing to do that. It actually goes way, 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 way back. And so, um, so let's, let's pray together. Lord, we do open ourselves to the fullness of your love and your goodness, your all-encompassing grace that is permeating this place and moving into our hearts and shaping us from the inside out and the outside in, Spirit of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' living name we come. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you or on you, um, you can go ahead and and turn to John 15, uh, verse 4 particularly. My glasses keep steaming up as I'm talking, so I may lose them partway through here. I find glasses a great inconvenience. Uh, And so... Uh, But I want to basically form uh, this entire next uh, few minutes of reflection, of consideration, of welcoming the Spirit to move in our lives and form us in His presence as we're here based on seven words. At least that's the way the translation goes in in the ESV. And I want to talk about today toward abiding, becoming the prayers that we pray. Becoming the prayers that we pray. And on the preach and teach-o-meter, you know that one? Say, oh, they're just teaching us. That's nice. What's the Greek word mean here? Oh, what's the Hebrew? And then all of a sudden, whoa, they're going deep. Hey, back off. That's a little close to home. You know, I'm probably going to lean a little more teacher. And then at times I'll do and see if I can pin the needle with the Lord here with all of us. But um, I want to teach a bit because I was talking to Adam yesterday, and this really is a time in the body of Christ globally, a season, a space that has opened up in this holy disruption post-pandemic, within a pandemic, within a world on fire, the Spirit coming and saying, let's go back to the basics again. This is not only what we do, this is why we do it and how we inhabit and live in the world. This is how we follow the way of Jesus in a world that we will naturally come up against because, as Thomas Merton said, we will live colorlessly in the world. No one will care until our way of life confronts the illusions of the world. And then it will stir up focus on us. And so we want to be living out the way of Jesus, and to do that, we sometimes have to return to the basics. So you've been studying in this God at the Center series Uh, uh, you've been exploring a way to live, and more accurately, a way to inhabit the world, a way to be present in the world that's holy, that's beautiful, that's loving, that's freeing, that's forgiving, that champions others, that is not self-absorbed, but others-focused as we tend to our own hearts on the journey. It's a way of living that transforms heart and mind and body. It's a way of living that's in union with God in Christ, which is the goal, the telos is the Greek word of our faith. It is union with God in Christ. There's no other goal that sets before us in this life. It's the one that will happen in its fullness as we move from this life into the next. 
It's a way of being that is subversive to the world. It's subversive in the world. It defies its systems of value. It's a way that will lead you like the saints before us to gain Christ and all his riches, even as it will cost us everything. In some cases, even things that we've held very dear. But in that process, we will lose to gain. We will give and we will receive. It is the way of things in communion with Christ. So I want to read just these seven words out loud together. And at times they may just sit on the screen as as a bit of our lingering point, our focal point. And it's these words from John 15, 4, if you could put them up with. Let's read this slowly together. Abide in me, and I in you. Let's do that once more. Abide in me, and I in you. In this seven-word phrase, a teaching of Jesus that's... that's, uh, that's you know, circled by this moment in time with the disciples where he's giving them not just a pep talk, but he's giving them an infusion of his life knowing where this whole thing is going. He's gonna later pray it into their hearts in John 17. But in the midst of this, he brings this one seven-word phrase in English to us, and it's the word meno that he's using here. Abide in me. The word meno means stay in me, remain in me. Other words might be don't leave, don't go, don't wander, don't get disoriented, don't lose your way, stay. And the literal meaning of the word is inhabit, dwell. So we could say it another way, inhabit me as I inhabit you. Inhabit me as I inhabit you. And so the image here might be the picture of a home. So I want you just for a moment to imagine your home. But your home is an image of the heart of God, the great love of God for you and, and this is gonna be important for us today as we talk about prayer, and for the world. God's heart is for you. It is also for everyone else in the world. And so his heart is your home. And you're dwelling like I am within his heart, this home. And in his heart, this home, his presence permeates it. His great love for you, his tenderness, his awareness of you, his presence to you, to your joys, to your sorrows. He is utterly, fully, completely attending to you. But at the same time that we are dwelling in him and we are learning his way at his feet, we are also dwelling within his heart for the world. We're also dwelling within his very present, near, acute awareness of the person beside you and the person in your work network and the people that you're touching in any way as you touch them across the span of a lifetime. And this passage, it truly, I think, as, as well as any other passage in the New Testament, it encompasses the essence of the gospel. It's infused with the truth of what Jesus came to do to bring us in union with God through him. 
and to not only do something for us in dying for us in the brokenness of the world and rising again, but to become someone in him. Are you with me? As we move through a home, as you move through your home and there are people in your home, you know, we can ignore each other. We cannot talk to each other. That's never happened in my marriage in 35 years, but let's just say it happens in some homes. No, but you can move through your home and it's very difficult not to actually get to know someone and actually begin to get a heart for their heart and be connected to it. And so as we, we move into this idea of, of abide in me and I abide in you, I want to take a few moments just to explore how we actually find our home in Christ, how we actually make our home in Christ. I'm a bit of a, of a pragmatist this way. It's like, how do we actually do the thing we talk about doing? How do we actually get from there to here? I've always been fascinated by the process of maturation. Like how we are one thing, and then over time, we look back and go, oh, oh, I can't even believe I was that. I can't believe I wore that type of belt buckle at one time. I don't know. I actually had a crazy belt buckle at one time, and that just came out. So, um, but I can't believe I was that kind of person. How do we actually get from here to there? How do we actually have these, these character traits, these ways of being in the world that we grew up with and were, were normalized in our homes, our situations, and then we actually become other over time? How does that actually happen? And I think part of the way it happens here is this invitation from Christ for us to find our home in him, for us to make our home in him, for us to create with the investment of our passions, our investments of life and time and volition and money and thinking and habits and befriending and the things that we do, the work that we do. How do we gather all that together to become a, a person who inhabits Christ, even as we are inhabited by Christ. So this, this phrase comes to us from church history that I've loved about this relating, you know, you've been talking about prayer and you've been talking about the scriptures and getting them into our lives. And I'm sure some of you are like, Oh, I've already passed the, the, the reading season of my life. I've graduated from reading. I only watch videos and listen to things through, you know, oral means, you know, whatever. It actually is a thing happening in our generation. Uh, print learning is giving way to what would be an oral learning model, which again is stories and symbols and images. And they'll both keep working together, but there are preferences that, that each one of us have. But how do we become a people who inhabit Christ as we're inhabited by Christ over a lifetime? Well, this phrase from church history comes to us, and you can go ahead and put that up with. And I'll just say this for us. It's lex orandi, which means the rule of prayer, or to loosen it up, the way of prayer, or to loosen it up even more, the way we pray. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The way we pray becomes the way we believe, becomes the way we live, and then it goes on in a loop, becomes the way we pray, becomes the way we believe, becomes the way we live, which forms the way we pray, which forms the way we believe, which forms the way we live, which forms the way we... And it goes on and on and on and on. And what the early church understood and what we see threading throughout the New Testament and throughout Jesus' teaching 
is this idea that the way you do things, you become. In other words, how you pray is who you become. We become the way we pray. That was their understanding. And so their prayers, rather than simply being a gathering of emotional fragments, please, someone, give me a hallelujah, amen, you get it. In my truck, on my drive to my situation, and Lord, hear all my emotional fragments, and please do something, make this happen, do this, that would be great. And by the way, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his soul, right? But we understand that we start to become the way that we're praying. Now, prayer could be understood in its widest sense. This, this can apply to the way we sing, becomes the way we believe, becomes the way we live in the world. These different expressions of communion with God throughout our days and our nights. How many of you spend a lot less time praying out loud and a lot more time just praying in your head? It's just quiet, it's silent. And I've often found that in the midst of this, my kids got me a t-shirt that says it's a circus in here. I'm like, in the midst of this, just praying in my mind is not always the most helpful thing for me. Sometimes I need to say it out loud because in neuroscience, they understand it's how you order your thoughts. And instead of me praying more mentally, I pray less verbally. But the less that I pray is magnified and amplified by the thickness of our relationship growing with God. Does that make sense? So there's an unfolding way of thinking about prayer that I think we should, in a time of revisiting foundations, recover and just talk about. Because if the telos of our life, if the end goal of our life is to be found in Christ... See, all of a sudden, if you start reading the entire New Testament, all of Jesus' teaching, all of what's written by the apostles, all the stories, all the narratives, through the lens of this goal that we abide in him as he is in us, that we live in him, that we dwell in him, that we become one with him, they all start to light up and they start to shine and all these colors start to emerge because that is what Jesus was after, union. Union with God in Christ. And he's after that because he knows that fullness of life is found in his way of being human. And so he invites us not only uh, into a space where he knows our heart and we express and yield our heart to him, he also invites us into a space, into the home of his heart, where he can convey his heart to us for the world around us. First one, easier. Second one, us beginning to get the heart of God in us, transforming, challenging, beautiful, grueling, because we're now carrying God's great sensitivity with us in the world. So we become the way we pray. And I just want to talk about three ways of praying, and I'm going to spend a little more time on the last one. But I want to talk about three ways of praying that in some way all have something to do with who we are becoming as we pray and converse with God through life. And to some degree, they're a bit of a, a building of maturity. They all matter, but they don't all, if you just focused on one of them and just, just, just prayed that way the rest of your life, you wouldn't necessarily mature. You wouldn't necessarily get anywhere. And I think in each generation, these need to be revisited. They all matter, but
but they all matter in different ways and to different degrees. And when we get to this third stage of maturity, and again, these other ones still have their merit and value, but when we get to the third stage I'm gonna talk about, it actually folds back in and transforms the way the first two stages work, the way we pray in the first two stages. So here we are, the first one. Prayer as transaction. Prayer as transaction. Now that sounds cold, doesn't it? It just sounds cold. It's like transaction. You know, um, if you were in your home and if I was with my wife and I just had a purely transactional relationship with her, I'd typically pray or speak in some of the three word things, phrases that we use all the time. Give me this. Don't do that. Let's go now. Fix this problem. And we pray often in very transactional ways with God, don't we? In a sense, this image is a child. A child who is saying, give me lunch, (laughs) right? I want candy. (laughs) I need this now. Make this happen. This is how I feel, blah, right? And I actually think this is the primary prayer muscle that many in our generation have worked especially as Adam was talking about the black mirror of our phones. Straight up, it's forming us, I think in many ways, to be transactional in our thinking. I go here to get something. I go, I'm gonna stop this, Bobby. Sorry, bro. Boing. Bobby in his headphones. Um, but we go to get something. We, we find something of ourselves. But actually, it's fascinating that that, that phone just reflects our face back in us, to us, Right? And so prayer as transaction. Here's a passage, James 4.2. You do not have because you do not ask. We come by this honestly. James said it. The Spirit of God gave him that word. He said, you don't have because you're not asking. And basically what God is saying, begin to ask. Go ahead. Why not? Sometimes I think we're holding back. We're trying to you know, hedge our bets and make sure we don't ask too much and that would be too much, et cetera, et cetera. Go ahead and ask. It doesn't mean the answer is going to come in the form we want it to. It doesn't even mean it's going to be a yes here answer. And I think most of us, you know, if we've lived through the cataclysm we call 2020 now <laughs> and all its cousin years surrounding it, <laughs> right? We know that the, the do not have, do not ask thing You know, it it matters. We need to begin to ask the Lord for things, but we have to recognize that he's about something larger. He's about union with him. His goal is us to become like him in this world. As the scripture says, in this world, we are like him. We're becoming like him, and that is his goal. And therefore, everything I ask, I may not get in that moment or in the way I think I will, but how many of you have lived enough life to see that after 30 years, there are some ask me prayers you did back in the day that all of a sudden are starting to flourish into a a flower you didn't imagine it would be. And you go, I was actually asking for that in my 20s or whatever that might have been. Prayer is transaction. We see these, Mark 9, 24. Help my unbelief. Heal my daughter. Give me a new job, we might pray. Get me out of this situation. Fix this problem. In other words, God, you have power that I do not. Please do something, right? And I think God loves those prayers from us. But if our prayers stop there in that transactional relationship, we're not going anywhere. We're not becoming anything. We're simply becoming a self-absorbed, but bringing that into our prayer life, right? 
And yet at the same time, we don't want to stop asking. So please, please hear that, we ask. The second phase of prayer, the second stage here, is prayer is conversation. And if, if prayer is transaction might have a side word to it that's expression, my expression of need, prayer is conversation is more about the word formation. It's entering into a, a conversation with someone, a, a, a way of dialoguing, a way of engaging not only your thoughts, but their thoughts. And so we might see this modeled in passages like Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus prayed this way, Father, if you are willing, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong section. Forget what I just said, delete, back up, good. We see this conversational prayer in Psalm 13, 1. He says this, how long, Lord? Like really, how long? Will you forget me forever? Like you could imagine saying that to someone, really, how long? <laughs> how long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Like why, God? Now, that kind of a question presupposes an understanding that we're dealing with a person and not a force or a plasma in the universe. It's saying, Lord, I know I'm not going to get a direct answer to this. How long, oh Lord? Oh, well, it's actually going to be about 3.2 years, so hang in there. Like, probably not. But what's happening here is that the psalmist is in a conversation. And I think that's a muscle we need to begin to work. A friend of mine, A.J. Sherrill, wrote a book called Being with God. And he says this is at the heart of what, what would be called historically contemplative prayer. It's actually seeing being with God as the goal. Hanging out with God. So now you're driving, and instead of just waiting for a thing to ask God to fill you with words to pray... You actually decide that out loud, you're just going to have a long conversation with God. In the last uh, set of years, I've had a lot of long conversations with God in, in my car. Just talking about how I'm feeling, how it's going. You know, what do you think about this? And it's strange to ask a question and you know you probably won't get a materialized verbal answer. But you ask it anyway. And you begin to cultivate this conversation with God. But again, the content of those prayers is typically something that's happening in us. There are words, there are feelings, there are emotional fragments, but there also are cares and our concerns. It all matters. It's important. It's vital. We don't stop doing that. But sometimes we call that maturing in prayer. And I think the Bible takes us to another state. And I believe it's one that he's renewing in his church right now and he's inviting us into if we're willing to go there in the home of his heart. We have to not only express our own hearts to God and have our side of the conversation, we have to begin to welcome in a profound new way God to express his heart to you and I and call us, invite us to carry it into the world. This third stage, if, if this second stage of conversation might be a young adult or an adult in conversation, this third stage is where we become elders. This third stage is when we're not only capable of carrying individual people, God actually begins to make us capable of carrying whole communities and pointing them in a direction. And this is prayer as incarnation. Prayer as incarnation. Our word here could be habitation. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And here it is. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want. I won't pray that, Lord. 
Now I'm going to step beyond my will being done, my volition, my cares, my concerns. Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done. Let me begin to see the world as you see it. Let me begin to, as I walk into the grocery store, be in such a sensitive way that I am perceiving what you are doing in that person who's the clerk and I am, I am allowing you to give me your heart for them because that's what happens in your home. It says, James K. Smith put, we live in a porous universe. The spirit of God is moving in and through things. He's moving in and through our hearts. And in those moments, in abiding in Christ, you know, when I think of abiding in Christ, I usually think of a warm fire on a cold winter's night, right? But in this case, we're saying, Father, give me your burdens, Give me your cares and concerns. What keeps you up at night? Rather than me simply giving you what keeps me up at night. I love this prayer from Psalm 137.5. It's just, it's, it's a prayer. He's talking about Jerusalem, but it says, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. Basically he's saying, I'm ready to lay my life down for something else to happen out there. I'm ready to give beyond what I need. John 17, I've made you known to them, Jesus said. I'll continue to make you known, Father, in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And I myself may be in them. The love of the Father for Jesus now becomes that love that beats in our heart and we begin to feel that Father's love for the world around us. I love my, my spiritual director does this incarnational prayer stuff. He's always ready to lay his life down for him. He's an amazing man but often will be in conversation and he is so aware of me rather than himself as we're talking. We'll be having this conversation and he'll be saying you know, something like, Dan, I can see that this is, this is really a challenge for you. And so Lord, we just ask that you would, you'd come and you'd help Dan through this situation. You know, Dan, I know that. And he just, it's this unbroken, I'm like, are you talking to me? You know, he's just looking me right in the eye. Are you talking to me? Or are you talking to Jesus now? Or are you... And he's just moving in and out like it's a thin place for him. He's just moving in and out of talking to me and then sharing the Father's heart for me and asking things of God for me in that moment. Incarnational prayer. Now let me take a moment here and just tell a little bit of a story that'll kind of bring us home. Uh, the time was 1.14 a.m. in 2020 and we were all having a hard year, Right? And many of us have had them, you know, hard years bookending it all around. And we've been through a very difficult four years. But 2020 had a special shine on it for difficulty. I would never say the word Job in front of anyone, anytime. But at times I admit, I entertain the thought in my mind. This is kind of Job-esque, don't you think? Anyway, I remember the time, 1.14 a.m., because on this particular night in 2020... I stumbled through our kitchen. I looked at the microwave clock and those numbers, 114, just struck pain through my heart. It was the third week of a three-week full-on battle with insomnia. I could not sleep. And if anyone there, you know, if you know, you know. You start to lose your mind after about three days into this, four days. Something starts to not work right 
And it was going on and on. Now, this was surrounded by a year where my wife estimates I had two uh, complete breakdowns where I was in the hospital three times, one time for six hours, I laid alone in a hospital room. Anyone alone in a hospital room in 2020 because no one could see you? Alone in a hospital room, my heart had been racing at 160 beats per minute for three days. I should have had a stroke, didn't. Was in this hospital room, laying there doing my daily exam, parentheses, over and over and over for six hours, but it gave me something to focus on, right? But I'm alone in the room, my heart is racing, they've got me on a drip and it's not working. Six hours into it, my heart rate, within like 30 seconds, begins to spike and I'm going up and I'm looking at the thing. No one's in the room with me. I'm alone. It's Jesus and I and it begins to spike and I watch it climb and I, I remember the last thing I saw was 199. The bells are going off, the whistles, the doctors running in, the nurse bursting through the door and I literally thought, see, these are precious moments, friends. I don't mean precious moments like the little figurines. Oh, I mean precious moments like wouldn't trade it, don't want to do it again. Right, types of things. But I remember in that moment, I knew as that was happening, something in my spirit said, I'm ready. I'm ready. Like my grandfather before me, I've been preparing my entire life for this moment. I'm ready. That's very satisfying to carry into my, my late 50s and early 60s and beyond. And in this moment, as that happened, and I began to go out, and I thought, Jesus, I'm coming, you know, just laying my head back, with these people all around me, it converted, and I dropped to 88. Doop, doop, doop. And they're like, oh my goodness, you know, all over the place. And, and this was a year of flying over the handlebar in my bi bicycle. You know, bicycle, I actually said it like that. <laughs> my tricycle, I was out on my tricycle, and uh, kind of had a garage sale, Glenn. And uh, anyway, sorry, I just happened. But uh, uh, my wife and I were on a much needed beach vacation. Like finally we're going to get away. She loves to bike. Therefore I bike with her because I'm incarnating love, you know? And so we're out biking and day one, I fly over my handlebars, passing another guy on a thing. I land on my left shoulder and tear four muscles right across, like just totally destroy my shoulder. I'm in the hospital at surgeries, shoulder surgery, no walk in the park. If any of you know, again, you know. And it was just a year of this one after the other after the other thing. And on that night at 1.14 a.m., I am on my knees. I am in our family room. I've got a blanket over me because it's just cold. And, you know, and when you're broken, you just feel the temperature so differently, right? I'm just cold and I have a blanket over me and I'm down on my knees and I'm rocking back and forth in fetal position. You know, God's man of power for the hour, right? I'm just in fetal position. And this is, this is true story, no exaggeration. I grabbed a pillow off the couch and I put it to my face and I screamed a prayer to God. Scream prayers. That's another one we haven't covered yet, right? I literally screamed these words. I screamed into this pillow, take me. You take me now. If you're going to leave me in this mental torment, you take me now. And then I added on something that was just purely from my heart. I said, don't you dare leave me here. Don't you dare. And that's the way I felt. 
I was on fire with anger. My face was hot and red, and I'm just screaming into this pillow. My wife's in the other room sleeping. My daughter is in our guest room. She was passing through, and I'm just rocking back and forth. My wife has grown tired of seeing this crazed look in my eyes over these three weeks, and I literally, no exaggeration, you know you think you've come to your end? There's an end beyond the end. And you only want to go there with Jesus. Because this is all I can take, Lord. I can't take anymore. I can't take anymore. And then you're swimming, right? And the Lord meets you in it. And I'm telling you, I screamed into that pillow because God was silent with me. He was silent. And I was knowing I would lose my mind. And I was ready to get up, go into our bedroom and say, Anita, that's it. I can't do it anymore. Take me to the hospital. Check me in. Whatever it takes. And she was ready, boy. She was ready. Check me in. We're done. And all I could see was the long list of losses that were going to domino fall at that moment. I'm yelling into the pillow and a word comes to me. And the word is, it's a phrase from Psalm 119 verse 50. It was put there by a song a friend wrote 25 years before, a quarter of a century before. And I hadn't sung it since. Psalm 119 50. Your word gives me life. Your word gives me life. And it didn't come with warm fuzzies. It didn't come with a heaven's opened, I'm delivered. It just came as raw, dry, cold truth. And it went into my heart and I began to repeat the phrase over and over. I had nothing else I could do. I began to repeat it, repeat it. Your word gives me life. 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 Gosh, if you guys could have been there. <laughs> you know, I, I wish someone had a camera on that. I'd like to see that again, whatever happened there. Your word gives me life. And I got up and I began to pace the house. And your word gives me life. Your word gives me life. And all of a sudden, something began to change in me. Your word gives me life. Your word gives me life. And I must have done that for at least 30 minutes. Your word gives me life. Your word gives me life. I don't feel it, but I believe it. It's true. Your word gives me life. Your word gives me life. Your word gives me life. And I'm telling you, at one moment, that mirror staring me in the face, all my suffering that I was so deeply in touch with, so deep inside of me. Look at me, Lord. Look at this pain. Look, I'm looking at me. I'm looking at me. Can you see me in this state? Why don't you do something? It was like it was converted in a moment to a window. And all of a sudden, I saw the world in 2020 in that moment. And it's pain and it's anxiety and the fear and the distress and people not knowing where to turn. And, it, and the Lord just spoke to me in that moment. He said, Daniel, like wake up. Daniel, intercede now. Make your pain the leverage point from which you pray for the world. Guys, I marched around that house limping. I'm still limping from it all. But I marched around that house for the next six hours, interceding, probably for some of you in this room, just praying for anyone that came to mind. The suffering just converted being in the house of God, having his heart, seeing my heart so closely, and him saying, now let's convert all that suffering to you becoming what I'm looking for in the world, which is an intercessor who locks hands with the great intercessor and intervenes, intervenes with trust and faith and hope and love. And what happens in those moments? We then start to move from praying prayers to becoming the answers to prayers, to becoming prayers in the world. 
The ancient Celts would talk about their entire lives being a prayer, becoming a prayer over time, an ever deeper, ever increasing, ever more profound and deep prayer as they carried the heart of God into the world. In this stage, we become elders. And I believe that's God's call on every one of us to become those who see beyond our own suffering, our own needs, and to become people who have the capacity to focus on our needs as needed and to pray for the world, to carry God's heart into the world. That is something he is doing right now in his church globally. He's unveiling again his desire for us to pray, and what we pray becomes who we become. And so something else converts at this stage. Instead of just praying all the things that I'm thinking, I'm now starting to pray the scriptures because the scriptures are enduring everlasting truth and God loves to hear his word spoken back to him. And so I I spent three years with a friend writing prayers based on the Psalms. And these Psalms just had become life to me. And I began then to pray the Psalms, to just go through the scriptures. And when I see a scripture that moves me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, I'll convert it to a prayer for me. Greater are you in me than that one who is at work in the world. And Lord, greater are you than the one who's at work trying to steal, kill, and destroy in Campbellsville right now. And all of a sudden, our walks down the street are completely transformed. They're completely transformed because now we're seeing and feeling with the heart of God. So there's a a pathway that God invites us on in prayer. So what I'd like us to do at this point is just stand together. And I'd like to invite the band to come. And I'd just like to lead us in a prayer of abiding. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.